0: catch you up to speed what what we are doing here we're going through the book of first john verse by verse and we came to chapter 2 verse 3 and it says by this we know that we've come to know him that is we've come to know jesus and the first thing it says is if we keep his commandments and since that's kind of a big theme of first john i want us to camp out there for a, a while and and uh so we've looked a little bit at how the law of God fits into our life. And I want to continue uh, thinking about that this morning because you don't earn salvation by keeping the law. But if you are a believer, you keep the law as a fruit of salvation. You live his precepts and you love God's people. That's what we do. That's our lifestyle. And I want us to think about that. It's easier, and we'll see a lot of it in 1 John Perhaps it's a little bit easier to love people uh, in this world than it is to think about keeping law. So I want us to examine our relationship to the law of God a little more deeply. Uh, let me throw out a question. Do you, as you think about the American landscape, can you think of a good American example of someone keeping the law of God you know, in our day? And if you're sitting there thinking, oh, that's a good question. Nobody's ever asked me that question can't think of anybody then you're stuck like me you know it's like why are we not seeing more examples if it's a fruit of our christian faith our christian life why are we not just filled our minds filled right now with examples of people who are keeping the law of god we know we're as a society in somewhat of a lawless time And I think as a church, we have to own some of that. We're the light of the world. We are to be the examples. If society is lawless, then perhaps the church is not doing a good job of providing the world a lawful example and the beauty and the benefits that come with that uh, example. So we need to provide that for our society. Uh, Jesus encourages us, to keep his commands, his law, um, as, 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 as part of our fruit. Look at Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. This is at the end of this famous sermon Jesus preached called the Sermon on the Mount. And I want you to see two groups of people that he, he mentions here. Uh, Matthew seven twenty one through 23. It says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will. Now, I want to stop there and call that the walker. This is the one who's walking in the path. So, he's the walker, he's doing the will of God. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many or mighty works? And let's call this one the worker. Do mighty works in your name, and then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So of the two groups, you've got people who walk in the will. They do the will of God. And then you've got people who are working Christian things as though they're going to obtain salvation by doing them. They're working to gain favor and merit with God. They're praying, saying, God, we prayed. God, we we created miracles. We did all kinds of things for you. You were workers. And he says, the workers don't go to heaven, sobering thought. The walkers do. So obviously we want to be in that walking category, and I want us to think about what does it mean to keep God's commandments, to walk in the path of Christ. He's telling us there is a path, those who do my will, and you know when Jesus came to earth, he says, not my will, but God's will. He said, I am here to do the will, to walk in the ways of God. Um, give you one other quick verse and I'm going to give you uh, an illustration to drive it home. Look at John 15. John 15, 14 and 15. Jesus also speaking here. John 15, verse 14. He says, You are my friends. If you do what I command you, no longer do I call you servants for the servant does not know what his master is doing but I have called you friends for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. Again, he categorized people in two categories. Here, friends and servants. He says, I call you friends because you keep my commands. You know what I do. And you do what I do. Imagine with me now, Jesus and the commandments. Can you imagine Jesus coming into this room and taking something from you? Stealing? You say, no. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He, he has everything. He doesn't need anything. I really just can't imagine that. Okay. Can you imagine Jesus coming in and telling you a lie? say, uh, no, he's the truth. I can't imagine that. Okay, can you imagine him come and say, well, I'm the king and I want a harem. I want some people to commit adultery with. You say, Ooh. no, I can't imagine that. And you begin to see where I'm going. You can take every single one of the Ten Commandments. Every single one of them. Can you imagine Jesus saying, I want to worship money. I want to a God, and I want money to be my God. He said, "No, again, no. You can take every single one of the commandments and try to imagine Jesus committing the sin. And if you're like me, you say, I can't imagine it. It, it just doesn't register. Okay, if he can't keep the command, I mean, if he can't sin, if he can't break the commands, and you are walking with Jesus." Will you be keep breaking those commands? Imagine yourself holding Jesus' hand. Is Jesus going to turn aside, commit adultery? Is Jesus going to turn aside and steal? Is Jesus going to turn aside and lie? You say no. Well, if you're then you're not either. Keeping God's commands is not cumbersome. It's not complicated. People say the law of God. I can't believe you're putting that on me. I'm just asking you to walk with jesus that's it it's that simple jesus says if you love me you walk with me you're my friends we do the same things together you don't go off and sin while i stay holy you walk with me in the path which is the will of god and so Last time, when we looked about even the power of being able to conquer sin, some of you say, Whoa, that's too big. I don't see how I could conquer sin. It's just walking with Jesus. Just walk with Jesus. He's already conquered sin. Walk in his path, walk in his ways. And Jesus says, Then you're my friends, you're my companions. You're not earning salvation. You've been saved by me to walk with me. And you walk in righteousness. You walk in the will of God. I want you to see Jesus' passion for God's will. I want you to see Jesus' passion for his law. In the Sermon on the Mount, we just looked at kind of the end. I always like to read the end of the book before I get to the beginning. Sermons are that way. I wish I could give you the end, you know, before... Sometimes I try to do that. Let's go to the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. You begin to see, he, he does this thing with the Beatitudes. I think it's important, as he says um, uh, back there in Matthew 5, blessed are you if you're poor in spirit, if, uh, if you mourn, if you're meek, if you're hungry and thirst for righteousness. And as, as you go through those, you can imagine his audience saying, um, you know, he's... Seems like he's living and asking for somewhat of kind of a free lifestyle. And uh, then he comes to verse 17, chapter 5, and says, do not think. In other words, you you know, Jesus, as you read the Gospels, many times he starts his message by what you are thinking. It's awesome to have a preacher who says, "Okay, I know what you're thinking. Let's talk about it. And he did that so many times and he's doing it here. He said, don't think. He's he's preaching through the Beatitudes, and he sees his audience start to think, this guy's abolishing the law of God. He's he's not using, so far up to this point, he's not using any law language. We're kind of not used to the, the message going this way. And then he says, verse 17, so do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets, I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until it is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great. In the kingdom of heaven, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, again, strong statement by Jesus putting a certain group of people into a category of not going to heaven. He says, and he had scribes and Pharisees in his audience. He says, if you don't get what I'm trying to say on a level the scribes and Pharisees are not on, you're going to be like them. You're not going to heaven. The scribes and Pharisees were known for keeping law. They had all sorts of laws and rules and regulations. And Jesus says, don't think, I don't want you to keep the law, but I want you to keep it differently than those guys because those guys aren't going to heaven. So you need to understand what I mean by the law of God. And how I want you to keep the law of God, don't think I have come to abolish it. It's very important. Now, when he starts mentioning the law, verse 17, the law, verse 18, then he get to that verse 19, he mentions commandments as though it's a synonym, and I think it is. So he's not talking about all five books of the Old Testament of Moses that Moses wrote, the first five books of the Bible. I don't think he's talking about the whole Old Testament in summary. I think he's talking about the Ten Commandments. As he mentions specifically the commandments. You get down in verse 21. He mentions the sixth commandment. Don't murder. You look down verse 27. The seventh commandment. Don't commit adultery. Look down verse 33. The third commandment. Not swearing. So he's talking about specific commandments in this sermon. And some of the commentaries will say. Jesus' sermon on the mount is nothing more than an exposition of the law of God. And it's application for today. He is passionate about. The law of God specifically summed up in the Ten Commandments, and he wants us to keep it, and he wants us to keep it differently than the scribes and Pharisees were keeping it, thinking they would earn salvation, they would gain merit and favor with God by keeping it. So he that's, that's not where I'm going here. So let me uh, give you three categories of laws. I want us to look, first of all, at the libertine, second at the legalist, and then third at the literalist when it comes to interpreting rightly the Word of God. First of all, thinking of a libertine. The reason I come up with that is because I think that's what the scribes and Pharisees were accusing Jesus of doing. You're not using law language. We think you're trying to abolish. What's the law of God? What's a libertine? A libertine is someone who wants to ignore the law of God I just want to do what's free. I just want to do what's right in my own eyes. I don't want someone else to legislate for me. That's the libertine, one who's free, liberal in ability to do what they want to do when they want to do it. And the scribes and Pharisees would not go for that they seem to think, well, that's what Jesus is doing, and they accuse Jesus of this many, uh, on other occasions as well, saying, you're just hanging out with drunkards, and you're just um, hanging out with gluttons, and you're just too free, and you don't apply the law of God. Jesus is saying, I don't think I've come to abolish it. I've come to fulfill it. And you're missing the importance. The Pharisees think differently of the law. I think the church has struggled with how to think of the law. Let me give you two problems if I think Jesus says, you can't say that I'm trying to abolish the law. Why? Two reasons. Number one, Jesus cannot abolish the law because to do so would be sin and Jesus can't sin. Jesus does not come to abolish the law of God. It is impossible for Jesus to abolish the law. Second, it is inconsistent to think that law is replaced with grace; rather, law is a part of grace. It is not ever the opposite of grace. I'm going to show it to you in First John. We'll get there eventually. First John chapter three, I believe it is. Let me just get there. First John, or maybe it's chapter. First uh, John chapter three. Verse 4 says, Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. What is the opposite of law? The opposite of law is lawlessness. And lawlessness is sin. Jesus is not going to become lawless. Because that would be sinning. It's impossible for him to replace law with lawlessness. It doesn't say the opposite of law is grace. It's not. The opposite of law is lawlessness. And we saw a, a week or so ago, law is a beautiful gift. It's a grace gift that God has given us. You, the church gets confused when you begin to think the opposite of law is grace. Say in your mind as many times as you need to, the opposite of law is not grace. The opposite of law is not grace. The opposite of law is not grace, okay? That's a false doctrine that's been out there so much. Instead of seeing the beauty of law as presenting to us the will of God so that we can walk with Christ in keeping his commands. What a grace that he delivers to us friendship with him. We can walk with him, have companionship with him. We can know what he wants to do in any given situation by just looking at the Ten Commandments. He says, you know what I want to do because I've given you the law. So you know exactly what I'm going to do. I'm not going to sin. I'm not going to become lawless. I'm not going to abolish that command when I get in this situation. I'm going to be obedient to it. And a lot of times, you know, we're missing that when we we get in situations and say, what do I do? And the answer's in front of us. Uh, Libertines believe they have the freedom to ignore God's law. Don't have to follow it. God gives me grace to just do what's right in my own eyes. That's never been the case. God directs us, and he directs us according to his word. All right, so if we don't go the libertine approach of adding to or or taking away from the law of God, the legalistic approach is adding more and more laws. Let's keep the law by adding more laws, adding more rules, adding more regulations that ensure that we will keep. And by adding more, it'll show our passion for the law and we'll earn favor and maybe even credit with God. That's the legalist. That's the scribe. That's the Pharisee. They just felt like they had to add to it. Uh, staying in Matthew, look at Matthew 15, 1 through 9. Also, it's, it's, it might be a little simpler in Mark chapter 7 if you want to look that up later. But Matthew 15, verse 1 through 9. Then the Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. So obviously they had a tradition of how they were to wash their hands and disciples weren't doing it. They had a a different rule, regulation. Verse 3, he answered them, And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, Honor your father and mother. Fifth commandment, right? And whoever reviles father and mother must surely die. But you say, If anyone tells his father or mother, What you would have gained from me is given to God. He need not honor his father. So what they mean by that if if, if if mom and dad were supposed to be getting some money from you, and you say, Mom and Dad, I'd love to give you this money, but God wants me to give it to God. See, that's not honoring your father and mother. You're, you're twisting the scripture, you're doing your own thing, you're creating rules that that you think merit some sort of favor and breaking the very commands in front of you. Um, verse 6, he need not honor his father? No. So, for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. And that's a, what a legalist doesn't get. When they, you add rules, you add regulations, you add traditions, and you add preferences, you end up nullifying the word of God, saying that the word of God's not important, it's all these other things. And you don't see how you take away from the word of God by adding. Verse 7, you hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart, and we're going to get to that in a minute, the heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. So legalists many times are those people who are in worship services. They are worshiping God. But God says you do it in vain. Because you do it in such a way as you think you're trying to earn my favor, gain merit. Um, back in Matthew 5, remember, verse 20, Jesus says, you got to get beyond that. I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. you got to get beyond where the scribes and Pharisees we got to get beyond it or we're not following. So the legalistic approach is not what God wants us to do. The libertine approach is not what Jesus wants us to do. What's the correct approach? It's a literal approach. Just take the law of God the way God literally intended it to be taken. He wants us to see it as his will. The path for life. You walk on it. You walk with Jesus on it. Jesus always did it with love, love, love. So I call him a loving literalist. He never picked up a hammer to beat something into us. He presented his word with love. And we need to take his commands and keep his commands as God intended. Back chapter 5, verse 17, don't think I've come to abolish the law. He says, if you think I came to abolish you, not, you're not hearing me. You're not taking it the way I intended. I want you to keep the commandments. Not like the scribes and the Pharisees and not like the libertines who ignore them. I don't want you to take away from them. I don't want you to add to them. And we got a hint in Matthew 15. I want you to do them with love from the heart. Look at Jeremiah 31, This is a uh, promise of the new covenant, because it's a significant promise and a lot of controversy over the application of it, I think I may, Lord willing, spend next week's sermon just unpacking Jeremiah 31. So I won't spend uh, much time this morning. I just want you to be aware that it's here. Uh, Jeremiah 31, verse 33. For this, this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel, after those days declares the Lord I will put my law in them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. He says the same thing in Ezekiel 36 so when he says when the new covenant starts when Christ's death, burial, resurrection occurs then we're going to move beyond where the scribes and Pharisees have been I'm going to make sure the new covenant works by putting my law in your heart. And you're in other words, now you're gonna have a desire, a delight, a passion to keep my law. It's gonna be a fruit of salvation. It's gonna be something that people will look at you and say, you walk a different path. You you love different stuff, apparently. You like going different direction than the rest of the world. That's why we should clearly be the example before the world because Jesus puts his law now in our heart. Um, Now, back in Matthew 5, still trying to unpack this a little bit. Verse 18, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until it's all accomplished. How about that for an end time passage? You don't hear people talking about this one. People want to twist Matthew 24 in so many ways. You're going to have wars and rumors of war. How about says Jesus says, heaven and earth will pass away before. He, said, he says, will, will heaven and earth pass away before you start keeping the law of God? No. Nope. My church will be known as those who keep the law of God. Before heaven and earth pass away. My church will be known for every iota and every dot in the law of God before heaven and earth pass away. My children will follow me. It will be clear who are mine and who are not. Our obedience matters to God. He's passionate about it. He says it's going to happen. It's part of his plan that it happened. So we can't ignore God's law as the libertines we can't add to it, micromanage it as the legalist. The right approach is with a spiritual renewal so that our heart is changed. Jesus says, let me give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you and cause you to walk in my commandments. Ezekiel 36, 26, and 27. Let me give you a new heart, a new spirit. And cause you to walk in my commandments. Because heaven and earth won't pass away until death is happening in the church of God. That's Christ's passion for his law. Um, verse 19, Matthew 5, therefore, whoever relaxes one of these commandments and teaches others to do the same, be called least. We don't want to be in that category. He says, no, you want to be in this category. Whoever does them and teaches others to do them will be called great. So I don't want you just to have a passion to do it. I want you to have a passion to talk about it. I want you to raise up the next generation, having been taught the commandments of God and following the commandments of God so that they quit the lawlessness that seems to be prevalent around us, having this satisfied attitude. Now, imagine yourself as a train. What's gonna keep you moving? You gotta have tracks, right? Trains don't go without tracks, but trains also have to have fuel. The fuel is the spirit of God. It's the new heart in Christ. The tracks are the law of God. God wants us to move us through God wants to move us through life with his spirit being our power. It's not our strength, it's not our earning, it's the power of God. Things don't happen by us, it happens by his power says the spirit of God. Pushing us, but he's going to push us down the tracks of his law. As you as you think about the fuel of our lives being this new heart in Christ, the Spirit of God, you'll, you'll, you'll appreciate these commands better. Look with me at the... Uh, oh, it's really just a description of the Christian life. Look at Psalm 1, verse 2, and then we'll look at um, Psalm 119. Psalm 1, verse 2. And I want you to just look at the activity of the heart here because this is what's typically missed. Psalm 1, let me read verse 1 and 2. It says, blessed is the man. So you're going to be a blessed person who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. So you're not doing it like the world at all. But his delight is in the law of the Lord and in his law he meditates day and night. What's powerful there is the word delight. Did you see it? it didn't say, blessed is the one who just walks according to commands. I'm not trying to give you a scribe and pharisee approach blessed is the one whose heart delights in god's way delights in walking with jesus because jesus always walks in his command and he thinks about it all the time he meditates on it day and night you wake up and you say god i want i want to be with you. I want to walk the way you walk. He said, well, then put your heart, put your your affections upon the commandments. And you start thinking through the Ten Commandments. Yes, Lord, I am passionate to worship you and you only. I'm passionate to worship the way you described yourself. First commandment, second commandment. Third commandment, I'm passionate to speak well of you and well for you, third commandment. I'm passionate to keep the Lord's day special, to work six days, to rest in you. One day out of every seven, I'm passionate about it. That's my heart's delight. I delight in life, not murder, sixth commandment. I delight in authority and respect, fifth commandment, mom and dad. I delight in faithfulness to marriage, seventh commandment. I delight, I have a passion for private property and the possessions you've given us, Eighth Commandment. I have a passion for speaking the truth and well of my neighbor and protecting them, Ninth Commandment. I have a passion for being content with what you've given me, Tenth Commandment. See, that's that's what my heart is on. That's what I think about day and night because I want to walk with Jesus. And it's because he walks with me. He calls me his friend. He delights in my companionship. And it's just a matter of doing the same things Jesus does. One other verse. Psalm 119. Psalm 119. So many places you could go here, but these are just two of people because I just want you to see this passion. Psalm 119, verse 97. Oh, how I love. Again, you see the heart that's fueling the engine of the train. Oh, how I love your law. I think about it all the day. Again, it's my meditation all day long. That's what I think about. Because it's a passion. It's a delight to wake up and know how to live. How to walk with Jesus. And it's consistent with his law. John 14, verse 15. Jesus says this about us. John 14, verse 15 says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Pretty simple. You love me, you'll keep my commandments. That's what you'll do. Because it's a love thing. It's a heart thing. It's not something where you, you earn anything. It's just if you really love someone, you you try to get around them, and you try to like what they like, and hate what they hate, do what they do. Says if you love me, you'll that's what you'll do. I was I was raised at times by a legalist. Said this is how you live, and do not smoke, and do not drink. I honored that till I was about 40, and then realized that was legalism. I was also raised by some libertines. I had plenty of people come up and say, David, Sunday's just another day, man, lighten up. You don't always have to speak the truth, sometimes lying's your best friend, it's just words. Stealing is just more for us. I've been raised by legalists and libertines. How about you? Bet you have too. You have a little both. Neither approach embraces the commandments of Christ as a passion because I love Jesus. Neither of you. Neither of you taught me to love Jesus with my heart. You don't get the law of God right if you don't understand. It is love language with Jesus. That it's really just about walking with Jesus and doing what Jesus would do. It's like I say, when you try to imagine what Jesus would do, He's only going to do what's right. His will, His commands, and holding His hands and walking with Jesus has us In that same powerful place. What are you going to do with the Ten Commandments? I'm going to keep them literally with love. With the love God has given me. For Him. And I'm going to use them as the love language. Christ says, I've redeemed you. Would you like to know how to love me now? He says, yes. Yes. I owe my life. Let me give you some love language, some love commands. Let me, let me tell you how I live, what I love, what I like, what I don't like. And you say, perfect. Perfect. Because those are the things that I love and I like. And that's the direction I want to go. Christ did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And it's fulfilled in us. And until it's fulfilled in us. Heaven and earth doesn't pass away. So it's a pretty significant part of the Christian life and of the church. Let's pray together. Father, there comes a time when we, we do our own thing. We want to do what's right in our own eyes. And, and we don't realize we're not saying yes to Jesus. We're saying no to Jesus and yes to us. Forgive us, forgive us. Let us get back on board with your passion for your laws, your commands. Let us be those greatest in the kingdom that are not only able to know them, but able to teach them to others also. Let us be those who think about your law day and night because we have such a passion to Do what you like and be with you and talk with you and walk with you. May we get to the place that we can't imagine dishonoring, turning our back on you. Let us be those who walk with you in such a way others know. And others see the light and the direction of Christ, even through your church. Father, thank you again for this time, for those that that need to straighten a crooked life. They have no hope without you. We ask that you would give them faith to trust you in your way, in your word, in your direction, even now. Thank you, Lord, for this time to study genuineness in Christ a little deeper. For we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.